Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Building on the Rock, produced by St. Peter's Lutheran Congregation of Fond du Lac, located at 1600 South Main Street. Our congregation has had the privilege of serving our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ since 1858. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8 or 10.30 or every Thursday night at 6.30. St. Peter's serves Jesus' little lambs with a preschool through 8th grade Lutheran elementary school and supports Winnebago Lutheran Academy. We invite you to take advantage of the many opportunities that St. Peter's provides to help you build your life on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus and his word. For more information, call us at 922-1160 or visit us at stpetersfdl.net. May God bless you as together we continue building on the rock. Good evening. And welcome to God's house here at St. Peter's on this blessed Ash Wednesday. As we begin our Lenten journey once more, we will focus especially on the precious, blessed footsteps of our Savior Jesus Christ, his final steps that took him to our salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, let us confess our sins to the Lord. Holy God, gracious Father, I am sinful by nature and have sinned against you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved others as I should. I deserve your punishment both now and forever. But Jesus, my Savior, paid for my sins with his innocent suffering and death. Trusting in him, I pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Our gracious Father in heaven has been merciful to us. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ, and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, you never despise what you have made and always forgive those who turn to you. Create in us such new and contrite hearts that we may truly repent of our sins and obtain your full and gracious pardon. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Passion History of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. Jesus said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. 
On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where, my, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, then God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them are given the title benefactor. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table 
or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Tonight, we begin our Lenten journey, following with care, watching carefully the final steps of our Savior. Tonight, we see him go to, at this point in this ministry, his greatest miracle to date, as far as we can tell. His final steps led him to a tomb. John chapter 11. Now a certain man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was sick, was the same Mary who had anointed the Lord with perfume and had wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not going to result in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed in the place where he was two more days. Then afterwards he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, recently the Jews were trying to stone you to death. And you're going back there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? If anyone walks around during the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the world's light. But if anyone walks around at night, he stumbles because there is no light on him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, then he will get well. Jesus had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was merely talking about ordinary sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus had already traveled about Galilee and Judea and other regions surrounding the Holy Land. He had taken many, many steps, and all of it cost him. Sometimes it was more obvious than other times. Sometimes he would go into a town and they would reject him. Other times they would find what he had to say funny. Other times they would actually try to kill him. They had just recently tried to do that. But here, Jesus knew how much it would cost him to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. Bethany is in Judea, Judah. It's only a couple miles. It's like two miles from Jerusalem. It's really close. And so Jesus knew that these final steps he would take to Bethany 
would cost him because just a couple miles away was the headquarters of his bitterest enemies, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They hated him. They had been dogging his steps for years and they tried to get him killed on more than one occasion. They had been watching carefully to see if they could do it legally if it was convenient, but sometimes they just tried to murder him, always trying to catch him in a, a trap. They've been doing this for three years. Unsuccessfully. But now Jesus is going right back into the lion's den, just a couple of miles away. Because again, we have to understand that this is going to be the event that really does it. You heard in the Passion history, they weren't planning to murder Jesus during the feast because they were pretty confident it would backfire on them. So not, not now. This is not a good time. But Jesus is going to force their hand by these final steps to the tomb of Lazarus. But after several days, he delays. Why? To test the faith of those who had lost their dear brother and to strengthen it. To test the faith of his own disciples who were still baffled as to what was going on, even though he spoke plainly to them about what was to come yet again. And they were still confused. They thought they had to die. He delays. There's one more part of this that might be of note. Most cultures have traditions and ideas and kind of stories that they tell themselves about all different kinds of stuff, about life and about death. There's one specific one that is pertinent, I think, for this incident in Bethany, though. In the Jewish Talmud, and that's the collection of all these writings of Jewish theologians that had kind of been gathered up into a book, a scroll, really, up to that time of Christ, the writings and thoughts of rabbis and teachers of the law that were considered to be venerable and worth passing along to the next generation. Not scripture, but wise sayings. There was an idea that was fairly held by most Jews of Jesus' day. And the idea was that when you died, your soul was separated from your body, correct, but then they had this idea that your soul just kind of hung around. Your soul was kind of like a lost puppy dog for a little while. That it was confused, like what had happened. Was it going to be reunited to the body again? Again, where this idea came from and why it became popularized and written into Talmudic Jewish tradition, who knows? But that was kind of the idea. But here's the part, point that's pertinent. They felt that the soul would kind of loiter around and linger for three days. And then after that, goes away. So, do the math. When does Jesus get to Lazarus' tomb? 
I don't know if this was the most important thing he was thinking about, but I think it's worth knowing. He got there on the fourth day after Lazarus has been in the tomb, after his soul had, according to the lies and custom of the Jewish Talmud. So, I suppose there would have been some if Jesus had done this on the first or second day or even the third day. They would have somehow been able to lie to themselves, perhaps, that, oh, Jesus didn't really do it. The soul just had kind of found its way back into the body and come back to life and just had a near-death experience. It happens, you know, medically. Nope. Not what happened. And so to anyone who would have tried that way of rationalizing what had occurred at that blessed tomb in Bethany, that argument goes away fast. Because the Talmud says, this is all Jesus, 100%, because he is the son of the living God. So he kind of does a double miracle here. Not only just the resurrection by itself, which is tremendous, impossible, but Jesus does impossible things, but also times it out in just the right way so that it is absolutely clear to everyone that only the creator of life himself gets to call the dead out of the tomb. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So Jesus weeps at the death of his beloved friend, Lazarus. And then the Jews said, see how they loved him. But some of them said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus was deeply moved again as he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. He said, take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor because it has been four days. Jesus said to her, do I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out with his feet and his hands bound with strips of linen and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus told them, loose him and let him go. Jesus' final steps took him to a tomb. It would be a tomb not his own, but of his dear friend. But by doing this, Jesus had now provoked a reaction, a response from his bitterest enemies and they would succeed in their plot of murder, which is exactly the way God had planned. Jesus knew how much these final steps would cost him. And he went anyway. He went to the tomb and to his own cross and then to his own tomb. But like Lazarus, it would not stay full for long. We are very much, I think, like Martha and Mary living here on this earth. 
those four days and beyond that, like the time of his sickness, must have felt like an eternity in their grief and sorrow. Even their faith that wondered why didn't Jesus intervene sooner, quicker, faster. But all in God's good time. We wonder the same. There are people right now who have actually had a loved one die four days ago. Maybe you four weeks ago or four months ago, four years ago, or maybe even four decades ago. And we're waiting. We're waiting for God to act. But rest assured, dear friends, my fellow Mary and Marthas, we are in good company because Christ is with us and he's simply waiting for the exact right time to do the same for us as he did for his beloved friend, Lazarus. His final steps took him to victory and with us also we rejoice all the way to the tomb which will one day also be empty. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn to page 180. We confess together the Nicene Creed. Please stand. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Gracious Lord, according to your will and promise, you sent your Son into our world to atone for sin and restore eternal life. You planned his path to the cross, and he followed it perfectly. Your spirit led him to endure the temptations of Satan, but he triumphed. Your own people rejected his message, but he persevered. He confronted the blindness of unbelief, the confusion of doubt, and the hurt of death, but was not deterred as he proclaimed your kingdom to the least, the last, and the lost. Hear our prayers, Lord, for the sake of Jesus, whose journey to the cross we remember during the days of Lent. Comfort and strengthen us by his life and death on our behalf and thrill us as we look forward to celebrating his victory on Easter. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is truly good and right that we should at all times and in all places give you thanks, O Lord, Holy Father, almighty and everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who brought the gift of salvation to all people by his death on the tree of the cross, so that the devil, who overcame us by a tree, would in turn, by a tree, be overcome. Therefore, with all the saints on earth and hosts of heaven, we praise your holy name and join their glorious song. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We give you thanks, O Lord, for the foretaste of this heavenly banquet you have given us in this sacrament. Through this gift you have fed our faith, nourished our hope, and strengthened our love. By your Spirit, help us to live as your holy people until that day when you will receive us as your guests at the wedding supper of the Lamb, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of Building on the Rock, produced by St. Peter's Lutheran Congregation of Fond du Lac, serving our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ since 1858. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8 or 10 o'clock, or every Thursday night at 6.30. Our address is 1600 South Main Street. St. Peter's serves Jesus' Little Lambs with a preschool through 8th grade Lutheran Elementary School, and supports Winnebago Lutheran Academy. We invite you to take advantage of the many opportunities that St. Peter's provides to help you build your life on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus and his word. For more information, call us at 922-1160 or visit us at stpetersfdl.net. We'll be back next week with another edition of Building on the Rock. Until then, God be with you.